Welcome to another episode of Kiss My Mic. Our theme this month is Gen Z Voices to hear stories from our young Philippine ex friends from the community. And today, I am joined by Zasha Ahero. Zasha is currently a student. She is attending veterinary school in Arizona, and she's also active on Clubhouse, hosting rooms under Bahai Kubo, and also Sing Me to Sleep. And she's also an aspiring model. So, Thanks, Zasha, for joining today, and welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. It's my pleasure, and I'm so excited and looking forward to chatting with you. So I'm just going to dive into the topic, which is Gen Z. So I guess the first question that I have for you is, do you identify as a Gen Z person or do you associate with a Gen Z identity? I do. I do identify with being a Gen Zer <laughs> um, born in 2001. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean? What does being a Gen Zer mean to you? Being a Gen Z to me, it's an interesting thing for me to navigate because you hear things like, oh, the Gen Zers are eating Tide Pods again. So, they had to put locks on the Tide Pods. For me, it's, I think, the biggest thing is just was being born and growing up with all of the technology we have and the social media. And sometimes I feel a little bit like a hamster because we're always getting thrown these different things. And of course, Gen Z is the first one to check out TikTok, Twitter, or whatever, whatever new thing is popping up. So that's what it is. Just being going with the flow. <laughs> yeah. But those are all things that I've heard about Gen Z as well. So is there, I guess... All of those things to me sound positive, right? I mean, being adept with technology and going with the flow and being thrown in the deep end sometimes and feeling like a hamster, like what you said. But can you also talk about some of the perception towards Gen Zer? You said it in the beginning, right? People talk about the Gen Zers like this and like that. So yeah, maybe talk a little bit about the image as a whole and stereotypes. Yeah. Stereotypes. Well, I think the biggest thing is definitely when it comes to technology and social media, there's very much the stereotype. And for some people who are Gen Zers, it is true to just always be glued to your phone, glued to electronic, glued to what the biggest news news headline is of like Kim Kardashian, if she is she with Kanye and just focusing and sticking your business all up in social media and letting that consume you. Um, that that I do believe is definitely, I think, the biggest stereotype when it comes to being a part of Gen Z and who we are. And then you have, I've heard also, and I get this too, it's like, oh, you guys are partiers. <laughs> You're on your phone and you party. And then I think the funniest one was the Tide Pods. <laughs> I'm from a different generation. So explain to me what that means. And maybe for other listeners as well who are from a different generation. Definitely. There was, I don't remember what year it was. It was probably like four to six years ago. It was all over headlines that Gen Gen Zers were eating Tide Pods. I don't really remember how it came about, but I remember probably like two months after it started becoming a trend to eat Tide Pods or act like you eat Tide Pods. I went to the store and the, the Tide Pod bottles were just concealed. They had like a security lock on it. So you had to like... I think you had to be like over a certain age to buy it at one point too. Okay. 
Did you have experience with it? Not eating it, but did you know people who did? Or like, what were some of your thoughts on that? I personally never ate Tide Pods. There were my times of like, I would ha- I'd go to my friend's house and they used Tide Pods. So I'd like take a picture and post it on my story, like about to eat my dinner. So and I, on, on all of my stories, whether it was Snapchat, Instagram, scrolling through Twitter for a long time, it was just look at what I'm having for dinner and Tide Pods. So I guess that's something I could also add into like a stereotype for Gen Z would be trends. We're very hopping onto trends, being a part of trends, doing things because it's trendy because you saw it on social media. That's a stereotype too that I do, that stereotype I do believe to be true. (laughs) Yeah. In general, do you, I mean, that one is a good example of a stereotype that you believe to be true, but with the others, is there general truth to those stereotypes in your mind or what are your thoughts? I would say for the other ones, I'd say there's general stereotypes of like being on your phone all the time or you can't disconnect from technology. There's a generic truth to that, but what I feel others who might not be a part of this generation sometimes forget is that we were born into having phones. We were born into having social media. Even the even the later years, like 2010, 2012, those are peak, peak times of like Facebook just came out. You see these toddlers nowadays like with iPads and including myself, I used to be very quick to judge and be like, oh my gosh, that three-year-old's on an iPad. That would like my mom never would have let that be me, but our world is evolving into technology. So I have to even take a step back and say, hey, like if I were born in 2016, 2012, whenever, I probably honestly would have had an iPad because that's just, it's a part of our day-to-day life now. Yeah, that's the norm. And everyone's doing it. But so speaking of technology and social media, so what is your personal relationship? Let's talk about social media. How do you feel about social media in general? Social media in general, I have had a very interesting relationship with social media. So at one point, it was early high school, 2015, that's when we all started moving on past our middle school phase. And it's like, oh, she posted this. She looks really good. He posted that. He looks hot. And I was like, I want that to be me. Let me let me post these things. Let me put on a persona that that might not be me. So for a while, my relationship with social media was not the best because I was putting on a facade and not actually showing who I was. And it was about getting the likes, getting the followers, just wanting to be noticed, really. And so I took like a little hiatus and I don't know if if you you guys go look at my Instagram. I have like four pictures now. I'm not really, I don't use social media all the time in terms of posting what I'm up to or what I looked like on that day. But I do use social media to catch up with friends who I haven't talked to in forever and just see what they're doing or even how some people might use Facebook to keep up with their family. I do that for my family in the Philippines and Sometimes I will be like, okay, what is the what is the biggest tea happening right now in the YouTube influencer world, in the TikTok influencer world, just to keep up with it. So it was definitely a lot of trial and error in terms of um, using social media, but in moderation and not letting it consume who I am or not letting it change who I am or how I want to be viewed to the outside world. Yeah. 
it's good to see your experience and your journey also seeing both sides. Do you think that several other Gen Zers go through that phase of the appearances in the beginning, keeping up with the facade and all the likes? So yeah, just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I definitely think that there are many people my age, maybe younger than me. I think Gen Z goes up to 97, so even a couple years older than me, who struggle with putting out who they actually are on social media. And many of re- well, like one of the biggest reasons I can think for that is if you actually make it, like for, in- like for instance, being an Instagram influencer, you, you get paid, you get sponsorships, you get you 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 get paid for the image you put out there and so i think it's very easy for people to get wrapped up in what their social media image looks like and then eventually they find themselves boxed in but it might become their full day-to-day job that's providing for them so it's not something they can just get get out of i fortunately i i was able to just you know not be on social media anymore it was wasn't anything crazy for me. But yeah, I definitely do think that a lot of other people who are in the Gen Z generation struggle with just knowing who they are and putting that out there. Mm-hmm. So just to piggy off of that, Zasha, what do you think are the driving forces behind that for a lot of Gen Z or to having that kind of mindset? Mm, that's a good question, Mike. I'm gonna... I'm going to try and put myself in my own shoes from a couple of years ago. And honestly, I think what comes down to it is just maybe a struggle with self-image of what, what am I going to look? It's very easy to get wrapped up in like the likes and I want more likes or this, this girl is so beautiful. She's hot. She perfect body. What social media has portrayed to be a perfect body. So I'm going to look like that. I'm going to put that picture out. Maybe I'll put on some clothes that I normally wouldn't wear. And then I'll post that to Instagram and I'll look like societal standards. And I just think it's the drive for wanting people to to just notice you. And for not all the time, it's not clout, but I've noticed like the word clout, just wanting, I don't even want to use the word fame, but clout in terms of like attention on you or I want these people to know my name and I want them to know what I look like. And I want them to scroll past my picture and be like, oh, she's... She's she's hot. Let me like her picture, you know? Yeah, no, that's so eloquent. That's so beautiful, actually, because in the old days, an example of that in terms of kind of wanting to be another person is really the whole concept of keeping up with the Joneses, right? We see what's on the other side of the fence and, oh, that looks great. And now with social media, everything is accessible. So now you have instant access to what everyone else has. And so it amplifies that need to really want what others have too, which is sometimes innate to us. But also the instant gratification of getting that quick response from people. So Zaja, question for you. So you seem very grounded, very humble, very sweet that I met you on Clubhouse. And you know I'm so proud of you and I'm so proud of your journey. You're so mature in terms of how you speak. And so I guess my question is, what was that moment for you in terms of kind of realizing that maybe this isn't important. So, so what was the trigger point for you to really evaluate it differently? I'll say my trigger point in evaluating social media in a different mindset for myself was I had a talk to one of my closest friends. Like growing up, I grew up with her. She was very close to me, probably like four or five years, just because I moved 
moved away from where I was living before, came to Tucson. And then one day she like sent my, my post to me on Instagram. And all she said was, you look beautiful, but you look different. And that, that right there, it was just like different in terms of, oh, I grew up, my face matured a little bit, or I, I was just really struggling with what does she mean different? And that, that noticed me, that showed me that I was too caught up in what people think of me. I was like, what do you mean different? What is your definition of I look different? I'm not me anymore, or I look different from, from how I looked five years ago when I last saw you. What do you mean different? So I asked her and she was like, well, no, of course you, you're going to grow up and you're going to grow into your body and your face is going to mature a little bit more. But she's like, you just look different. She's like, from who I knew you as and how, how at the time your morals were and just who you are, you look very different in terms of you look like a party girl. There's nothing wrong with partying whatsoever. She's like, but I just, she's like, I never pictured you that way. She's like, I, she's like, did you grow up to like, are you, is that who you are now? She's like, knowing who you are and then seeing a picture of you on Instagram, those two didn't match up. And so I just, she's like, I feel like I missed out on a season of when, where you changed. And so we reconnected and then she was like, so you are the same in terms of who you are and what you believe in and your morals. She's like, so what's going on with this party facade you're putting on? And what's going on with this? Like, I want to look hot. She's like, is that you? How does that make you feel? And I told her, I was like, it's a lot of work. And she just made me think about it. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like what I'm posting. And then it just really made me realize that I'm, I wasn't posting who I was. I would I'd have times where I'd want to post like, you know, a selfie with me looking all like dirty and like sweaty at the barn because I do a lot of stuff with horses. And I was like, oh, but I don't want to post this because I look bad and I look gross. And then I'm like, but wait a second, like this is who I am, though. This is something that I love and I want to be able to share it. And so and I'm still in a phase of my life where I am working on being comfortable enough to post 100 percent of who I am. So and I think that that's the lack of not having a lot of posts anymore because I'm still still working up to that point. But yeah, after that one conversation, I was like, I need to reevaluate what's going on. And after I started reevaluating, I started knowing all of the pressures that I didn't see that social media was causing me to have. Yeah, that's a good example. It shows how important it is to be surrounded by people who can really present different perspectives and sometimes can pull us back to a different perspective, really pulling us back to, to earth or something like that. Yeah, but that's good. But I also like the fact that you're very honest about it, right? Because not everyone will accept it. That's actually what, what's happening. And, and the last thing I would say is it is a struggle. And people who are in that space, we're not diminishing that. There's a need sometimes to get the validation and all that. So thanks to the friend that you have. And for others out there, do you have any? Not necessarily advice, but like message to other, because they are your peers, right? They're in your same age. You don't want to judge them in terms of what they're going through. But if there's anything that you want to relate to them in terms of message, what would that be? I would say in terms of advice, I think it's very important, whether or not you're in Gen Z or any other generation, but especially Gen Z when it comes to social media is asking yourself who you are. Is this something that 
that portrays who you are and that you want to share with the world? Or is this something you're posting or something you're retweeting because it's it's a trend or you you just want the likes and it's not something that that will actually make who you are happy. Mm-hmm. And I will say another thing is to take time off of it. It's like I've been there, it's very easily done to just scroll through TikTok for five hours or be so focused on like be focused on Clubhouse for like seven hours in a 24 hour day, stay up until four in the morning and and it's fun. Some like most of the time it's fun, but then once you kind of step away, just even if it's just like once a week and you you spend that seven hours that we would all spend on Clubhouse until four in the morning binging a show or going outside and just getting in touch with what's in front of you. It's just a good reminder. And also by doing that, it takes off the pressure of social media as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is why I love talking to so many different people, especially from younger people too. It's just, uh, it helps me learn as well because sometimes those things, other people struggle with that too, even though they're not Gen Z, things like that. So speaking of, you mentioned Clubhouse. So that's where we met. I think a few months ago, it's been a while now. But tell us about your Clubhouse journey. So how did you how did you start? How did you hear about the app? Yeah, all that beginnings. I am so grateful for Clubhouse. So I found Clubhouse during the pandemic. I think the first time I ever heard about it was I was scrolling through TikTok <laughs> and I saw this app and it was like, oh, you need to be on a wait list or something. And so I signed up for the waitlist, never heard back. It like months went by, I forgot about it. And then my best friend, Ariana, she's an actress. She she was like, I just got this invitation to this audio only based app. It's not out yet. I think you would do great. I love talking to people. I'm very extroverted. I love talking to strangers, essentially. And so I hopped on. And at first, I... I was just kind of seeing like acting rooms and entertainment industry rooms and that that's something personally that I don't do. So I was like, what is this app? It's a little interesting, but I see why she was on it. It was she's an actress. And so and then I stumbled upon I think it might have been Bahai Kubo actually with Koya Irwin. Shout out to Koya Irwin. <laughs> but uh that's where I met everybody. And then I found a couple of different Filipino rooms and I just started talking to people and relating and sharing parts of me that I've never felt comfortable sharing with people before. But also I just saw a lot of kindness on the app and so kind of took off and then we started Sing Me to Sleep and then I met a lot of crazy, insane, talented musicians. And yeah, that's that's my story with Clubhouse. Yeah. I mean and Sing Me to Sleep is the other one that you're hosting regularly. And I've heard you sing. Zasha, I think you sang Driver's License one time. And oh my gosh, like we need to have a recording of that and <laughs> post it. And then my other question is, is your friend Ariana, is her last name Grande? <laughs> <laughs> I call her Ariana not so Grande. She is she is 5'2", so she's not Grande. But <laughs> Yeah. So she's a mini. So, but she's cool. So the other follow-up I have was on Clubhouse. What were some of the biggest surprises to you? Oh, there's been so many surprises from, I remember one of the first times I shared something about what it's like being who I am and figuring that out 
and where I stand in the Filipino community, since I am half, I shared that. And then a lot of other people, Alex popped in, Josh popped in, and so many other people just started talking about their experiences. King popped in, so did Amanda. I was like, I'm not alone in this. I didn't know that this was actually something that a lot of people in our community, whether they're multiracial, binational, or in the Philippines go through. So I I always just thought I was like weird for feeling that. So that was a really big surprise to learn that I was not alone in what I was feeling. In terms of like music and singing, I used to do that just like here and there. And then I stopped for a while and Clubhouse sparked a creativity in me that I didn't know was there. So I was surprised about that. Just meeting a lot of lifelong friends. I'm can't wait for the day we can meet once this panini is over. Hopefully it will be one day. And just just the kindness. We I've been a part of a couple different fundraisers on Clubhouse to raise money. And it's it's a beautiful thing of just getting to meet people. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, there's just so many things to look back and think about. All those experiences, you're right, with being able to find people. And it's also the conversations that we've had about the Filipino identity, the power of conversation. So, and you host that room still regularly right now, right? The Philippine X, am I Philippine X enough? So I guess on that uh, particular room, why is it important to have that conversation to you? I, for me, so since starting that room, that question of why is it important for me to have that conversation has changed my answer to that. So when I first started on, I found it very important to be having that conversation for myself with other people who can add to that conversation. They're like, hey, I I experienced this and you're not alone. It was just a reminder that, like I said, I wasn't alone. I didn't, I always struggled with needing validation of like, oh, do you speak Tagalog? Oh, you don't? Okay, you're not Filipino enough. Or you look white, you're not Filipino enough. And so I'd always just struggle with like, I want to learn about our community. I want to be immersed into it. But then it was also hard at the same time being shut down by someone like titas, my titos, some friends, you know, (laughs) like you're just hearing you are not enough. And so having that conversation of what does enough mean And of course, the answer is always yes, quoting Alex. (laughs) So that was my initial importance for having that conversation for myself and just holding space for others as well to share. And now I, I find it important for myself to keep having that conversation in terms of I, I don't really feel the need to, I'm still working on it. I still struggle with it, but I don't really feel the need to personally ask myself that question anymore of, am I Philippine X enough? And I got into a conversation. It was in a room we did last week and Andres was speaking. And just in terms of for himself, and it made me realize that I was like, what? If I keep asking myself that question, I feel I am boxing myself in because then I feel like I need to give an answer to that when in general, it's in my blood. I want to learn about the culture. I am Philippine X enough. And like I said, it's still something I'm struggling with and I just came to that new answer of why is it important for me to be in this room literally like not even five days ago so I hope that made some sense (laughs) it does absolutely and I I think I'm just hoping that there will come a point in which we don't even ask that question in the first place 
because it's in you already and it's it's there. So I guess the follow-up question is, has there been any change in terms of your response to people who in the past may have made you feel that way, that you are not enough? So for instance, like the titas, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how do you respond to that now? Or was there any change in how you respond or how you would respond? Definitely. So before, I'll just use the biggest example I have from my life of, do you speak Tagalog? And I, my answer is no. I, I can understand some of it. I understand some Bisaya. And immediately shut down. I'd be like, oh, you are white. Like, you just, like, they laugh at, oh, you're white. And then they laugh it off. And then, and I would just kind of just take it. And then it would ruin my mood. But I wouldn't vocalize, like, hey, that, don't say that to me. That, that hurts because I'm someone here who is a part of your community. And I, I never put myself in the shoes of someone who's, like full Filipino or I'm, I'm, I'm white. I'm white. I'm white skinned. I'm what's, what's the word? Mestiza. (laughs) Is that the right word? Yeah. I'm Mestiza. And so obviously my experience is very different than others experiences, but um, yeah, now I actually got told that like probably a month ago and I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick up for myself this time. So they were like, do you speak Tagalog? I was like, no, I don't got the got some type of response it was like oh you're you're white and I just looked and I was like and I just looked at my tita and I was like okay and and she was a little bit caught off guard and I was like does that make me I was like does that make me any less of of your niece your quote-unquote niece does that make me any less a part of this family even though we aren't all blood related because you know Filipinos <laughs> does that make me any less and then I asked for that and she was like no and I was like so don't say that I was like I put in work to try to learn about my community I put in work and research and I do want to eventually take classes on how to speak Messiah and so it's like I also asked that question of okay if I spoke Messiah and not Tagalog would that make me any less I have cousins who were born and raised in the Philippines fully Filipino and they only speak English does that make them any less no it doesn't and so I I I give that response now and I I try to approach that type of response always with kindness but also like hey what you're saying is not okay yeah good for you that's also one reason why I like Dr. Abby when she talks about assertiveness right because that's a classic example of being assertive and this definition stays with me when she defined assertiveness as saying what you like and saying what you don't like. But to what you're saying as well, there's a difference between aggressive and assertive. So if you come from a place of kindness and just being able to convey that, it goes a long way. So let me ask you, Zasha, some more fun questions about being Philippine X, the Filipino identity. So I guess the first one is, what makes you proud of being Philippine X? Ooh, I saw. I I was. I'm always thinking about this question, and I will say, my one of the biggest things, and I I know I'm repeating the question in it, but is the pride that comes from it. You can be in LA, you can be in the Philippines, you can be watching many Pacquiao on TV, and you just know all the Filipinos are going to be around. I'm just so proud to just simply be Filipino. And that also comes with our, our sense of community. I remember I was in the Philippines a couple of years ago and I got lost 
And I just didn't feel scared to go up to a stranger and say, hey, like, I'm not from here. I need help. I don't know how to get to where I'm supposed to go. And everyone is just so kind and ready to take you in if you need help. Or even in terms of like Ariana, for instance, she'll come with me to my family's house and they're like, try the adobo, try this, try this, try this. And are you hungry? no we'll continue eating (laughs) like we made this food we want to share with you we want you to be fed we want you to be comfortable we want you we just want you to be happy and it's a very giving community that I hope will always be able to be given as much as they give as much as Filipinos give I hope that Filipinos always receive yeah and that's what's good about that our community right because that never goes away when we entertain when we offer food and hospitality it's just a a trait that's really beautiful and so unique to us so speaking of food favorite filipino food Ooh, all right (laughs) favorite filipino food oh can i say all of it (laughs) favorite definitely chicken adobo i love chicken adobo i love menudo dinaguan Love that. That one's actually pretty good. <laughs> and puto and bandasol. Give me all the carbs. Give me the rice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that you're right with the answer. It's everything. There's just so much to try. So, and now I'm getting hungry as well. That's the beautiful thing about our food, though, is like you can go to one part of the Philippines and have adobo and this is how I've had adobo all my life and then go to another part of the Philippines and it'll be completely different, but it's still the same dish, but it's just made a different way. And I I find that to be beautiful about our food. Yeah, I like that. Same, but different with adobo. The essence, I love it. The essence is the same. So let me think of other questions. Oh, so the diaspora experience being Filipino-Americans here in the U.S. So... This is just my observation or maybe just my impression. There are facts that back this up as well. The visibility of Filipinos is not really not really there. There are people here in the U.S. They don't know how to spell the Philippines. They don't really recognize a lot about Filipinos. So what are your thoughts on that in terms of kind of increasing the visibility of Filipinos and Filipino-Americans that we are here to stay? This is our home. Yes, we're Filipinos, but we're also Americans. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts on Philippine X representation and Philippine American representation. This is a good question that I I think about a lot. And I, for instance, that example you gave, of we don't really know how to spell the Philippines. I think one of the things, and this can go for a lot of other cultures too, is that in primary school, like kindergarten, through 12th grade your senior year is I think we talked about the Philippines once for like two days and that was about a war but it wasn't even diving into the history of the Philippines it was just this is what happened in this war right next topic and so I think bringing our culture to classrooms and like I said that can go for any culture we need more cultures in our classrooms here in America other just other than just the American culture. And I know we're in America, but let's learn about world history. Let's learn about Philippine history. Let's learn about a lot of other history 
other than American history. And a lot of that is also swayed in the classroom, I've noticed. So I think that that's a great start. And in terms of more visibility is, I think, asking ourselves what what does representation look like? Are we talking representation just in the entertainment industry, representation in the medical field? Shout out to all the medical workers, our nurses. But um, also, I just, yeah, I don't see a lot of, at least in what I do in the, like, the vet space that I've seen and even like going to horse shows. And I, I think I've only encountered like one or two other Filipinos And so I really, and I'm starting to see it happening. I was just in a clubhouse room listening in the other day and there are seats at these tables. Like we, we are here in certain aspects, but I'm now noticing that our people are now trying to create our own tables with our own seats. And I think like asking for help on that and just remember the driving force of like always wanting more, but also not forgetting the fact that like, we are here. We're just going to like scream about it now. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We'll take space and we'll use the microphone. So that's a beautiful response, Zasha. So you actually mentioned, so the next set of questions, I'll ask a little bit. Some of them might be just maybe personal. Like you talk about veterinary school, you talk about horses, you do horse shows. So talk about that. Like why vet school And then tell us a little bit about what you do in those horse shows and why you're interested in them. Okay. So I will say I grew up as an only child with a single mom. My mom's Filipino. She's a nurse. She was a travel nurse. I grew up always moving around and I would go to a new school and then I would make friends just to leave those friends that I spent three months making two months later and then I'd have to do it all over again. But one thing that always was a constant in my life other than my mom was just animals, horses, dogs. And so since I don't have siblings, I <laughs> I would talk to my dog in my room or that was my my thing of responsibility that taught me it was just hey like if I had I don't have a little sister that I want to take care of. I don't have a little brother that I would want to take care of in some ways. I I have a dog, I have a cat. <laughs> and so that that is what sparked me wanting to go into the veterinary field and just giving giving a voice to animals who obviously don't have voices and helping them and just my love for animals if i when i bring my dog to the vet i would want him to be taken care care of in the hands of a stranger how i take care of animals that come my way when i'm a stranger to them so and then in terms of my horse shows, I, yeah, horses are a huge part of my life. I've pretty much grown up with them. Anywhere we'd move, I would always, I would, I would go on Craigslist and look like horse barn and I'd call them and like 10 year old me would be like, Hey, like I just moved here. Can I clean your horse stalls for you in exchange for like riding lessons or something? And so it eventually, it eventually turned into showing. And then I, I was riding for the University of Arizona equestrian team. And so we would go against different schools. This was before the pandemic hit. It got cut short due to COVID. But um, we'd go to different schools in Southern California. We would go against um, ASU, which is up in Phoenix. And so you just draw from a hat. You, you get the horse you get. And then 
it's all about how well you work with this random horse and how well this random horse will work with you. And I think the importance of that, and just at least for me working with horses is knowing that it's a team effort. And that has, that has taught me in every relationship, whether it's with another animal or with people, any interaction, even our interaction right now, this is a team effort. So (laughs) it's like definitely trickled into a part of who I am and how I, how I treat people. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, with your response about your passion for the animals and just giving them voices in the horses, that's actually something in my bucket list to learn how to ride a horse. So I think, I mean, there was a point that I was really close to, I think maybe because there's one neighbor of us here and they have like a, a big pasture and we see a lot of horses. So I was close to doing that. You should. If you have guided, I mean, it's like you put yourself out there to say, even if it's just like, hey, I want to come pet your horses. And then you you, you build that relationship with whoever the owners are. And then, hey, I want to ride. They, they'll guide you because it's, it's a very hard thing to do. But there's nothing like the feeling of like the first time you just put your leg in a saddle and you're sitting on a horse and most of the time for people who are first time riders, you don't even do everything by yourself. You just sit there and someone guides you around. And so it's it's a slow process to learn. But if you have a good instructor or a good friend to even show you and a good horse, it's it's just one of the best feelings. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I really am excited to try it. I have tried riding an ostrich one time, so so that's a horrible experience because they blind they put like something like a little bag and then they take it off and then that's when they'll run. Like it's not really slow. Like with horses, if somebody's guiding you, it can be a leisurely like stroll with ostrich is like really quick. But that's really, really interesting. So I will keep you posted and if I go to Arizona, I will definitely hit you up and ask you for advice and tips. So Zasha, this has been really fun. Let me ask you a few final questions. So I guess let's go back to the topic about the Gen Z. And one question I have is, can you tell off in your mind, like what are some of the qualities that differentiate Gen Zs from the other generation? Okay. okay. Biggest, I feel like technology keeps getting brought up in this. I think one of the biggest things that sets Gen Z apart from millennials or even gen it's gen x i believe or the boomers um would be technology and how quick we we adapt to new technology and just our willingness to to try i know not everyone is against technology but i've i've had my fair share of people who how do i do this i hate that i have to do everything over a computer and i have my days too i'm like i wish i could just write this down on pen and paper but I think it would be the acceptance. I'd say a huge part of Gen Z that I see in my generation is just our acceptance of of everything, of technology and not and that varies based person to person on how accepting they are, but I do notice like a lot of a lot of movements happening just that I've grown up with on and at the end of the day all of those movements boils down to just like acceptance and we're going to we're going to be vocal about it. We we want acceptance. We, we're going to fight for it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, acceptance and using your voice, which is perfect because that's the name of the series is Gen Z Voices. So 
I guess any other final words, Zasha? It may not be about Gen Z. It may be about your favorite boba drink or <laughs> favorite song to sing. My <laughs> <laughs> favorite. Okay, we'll do boba and song. So my favorite boba is a strawberry milk tea. I recommend everyone listening to try a strawberry milk tea with any type of popping boba, but the pineapple popping boba is pretty good. And I saw it earlier. This one is your favorite karaoke song to sing. And that one is My Heart Will Go On. And uh, I miss our karaoke days on Clubhouse. (laughs) I know. I know. It's like, it's just amazing looking back. I've never done anything like that, really, to be in a group of people like audio. I mean, I've done karaoke's, but that was that was really fun. So, yeah, I hope one of these days we'll see it back because it certainly is fun. So on that note, Zasha, my heart will go on. We're going to have to end with that with Celine, a little Celine. And thank you for being part of the podcast. It's so great to just chat with you and hear your thoughts. And yeah, thanks so much, Zasha, and uh, you know that I'm here to support in any way I can.